I'm Casey Finey, and this is Fast Company's Creative Conversation, a podcast where we tap into some of the most creative minds in film, TV, music, and beyond. We're tackling the mental roadblocks these creatives have encountered on projects or moments where they felt stuck in their careers. By diving into the problem, finding out how they overcame it, and the lessons they learned from it, you'll hopefully have a clear blueprint on how to manage your own creativity. This episode is pretty much going to be a love letter to all my fellow 90s kids out there because I have E.G. Daly in the studio with me today. For those who don't know, E.G. is most famous for voicing Tommy Pickles in Rugrats and Buttercup in the Powerpuff Girls. Just those two iconic roles would be enough for a lifetime of bragging rights, but E.G. has been working nonstop in film, TV, music, and stage for well over 40 years. No, I'm serious. Go to her IMDb page right now, and from her first credit in the late 70s to now, you will not find a single gap in her resume. In our conversation, E.G. explains the process of crafting a voice, creative lessons she's learned throughout her career that span decades, and how to listen to your inner hell yes and your inner hell no's. Well, E.G., thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. So you've been working in the entertainment industry since when? For for how long? Since you were what? Since seventeen. Um, since I was probably um, eight years old. Jesus. I think I had a commercial agent <laughs> when I was eight years old. That's insane to me. And you know, you've done screen acting and singing and voice acting and so much more. And so knowing that your career has touched on so many facets facets of the entertainment industry. How have you come to define creativity for yourself? Um, For me, um, creativity is the ability for me to know when something's flowing and when something is not. So, like, sometimes I could be really, just really having an amazing time doing some kind of music thing. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it's just, like, not flowing. Like, either I'm not booking or I'm not, you know, just something's not flowing a part of it. And so what happens is... Um, sometimes you get into that thing where you try to force things and try to make it happen. And I really think that a lot of why I think my career has been all over the place, but in, in a good way, like I've just really gotten to enjoy the multiple type of career that I have because I don't try to force it. At some point I just go, okay, this isn't flowing. I'm going to try something else now. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes I come back around to it and then it is flowing at that time. So timing is key and flow is key. And I just think, um, I can stay creative when I don't get too fixated on the results. And, you know, I just don't get caught up in like, oh, my God, this didn't happen with that thing. But just like, am I still enjoying this? Is it fun? Is it flowing? Oh, it's not right now. I got to go do something else. Right. So that's what I try to do. I try to keep it fun. And I think that that definition is something that is a gift of having worked so many years in the industry. So I guess, like, take me back to when you first started, when you really were, okay, thinking this entertainment is what I want to do, whether it's acting or singing. Like, how did you view creativity in your creative process then versus now? Well, when I was a little girl, honestly, I didn't feel comfortable with the whole acting thing. I just Hmm. thought it was really fake and weird. (laughs) And, like, there were a lot of – and I was a little girl, so I I started to notice back then the whole concept of, like, are you the pretty little girl? Are you – do you, is your hair curled perfectly enough? Mm. Are your eyes sparkly enough? I started to notice feeling that kind of, am I enough? Is this enough? Is that enough? The enoughs. Like, I love, Andy Grammer says that. And he said that. <laughs> He's actually my nephew, but he did a concert. Really? He was, yeah, yeah, it's my nephew. My nephew by marriage. Um, he married my niece, but anyway, he's super talented. 
And 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 I love the the term he brought up, which is the, the case of the enoughs. Like, am I enough? Mm-hmm. And so I think I noticed that, that as a little girl, that was the time period where I started to really notice the judgment on how you looked and and for myself, like com- the com- comparing. You know, with comparing is despair. You know, you compare and despair. So it's like that whole thing of like, do I look as pretty as that little girl? Or is that, am I as cute as that little, you know? So I think it really young, I I didn't really get the whole creativity thing then, but I did learn from being in a business that was supposed to be creative about how to start judging myself. That mm. was that was the dangers of the young getting in the entertainment business so young. Yeah. And... You know, we've mentioned that you've you've had such a remarkable career that's that's touched so many different parts of the entertainment industry. But I think, at least for me, being a '90s kid, like the most the most recognizable roles uh, for me have been your voicing Tommy Pickles in Rugrats and Buttercup yeah. in the Powerpuff Girls. I mean, it's it's just. I'm oh, having a mo- you're starting to smile right now, aren't you? <laughs> See, yeah. I was going to ask you to do it, but you know, I didn't want to because I know everybody's like, do the voice, do the voice. I'm doing your show for God's sake. Thank you're going to hear Tommy Pickles. <laughs> he can't contain himself now. He's it lost is, all his professional cool. I feel like I've just hit a milestone in my career. <laughs> um, but, so cute. You know, I feel like what I, speaking of Tommy, I know that that was actually the first. And Buttercup. And but For she, goodness sakes. She's the best. I mean, yeah. Blossom's a suck up. Bubbles is They're a little too much. They're all great. They're my sisters. Buttercup. They drive me crazy, but I'm the best. <laughs> she's the feisty one. Yeah. And I feel like with Tommy, that was actually the first voiceover gig that you booked, right? Like out um, the gate, or you yeah, wanna... that that is true. That was my first. It was my first audition for an animated cartoon, and I booked it. And you yeah. booked like such an iconic. Cartoon. Yeah, but who knew back then? I <laughs> didn't know. Knew? I was like, I I've said in many interviews that I was actually getting carpet put in my apartment <laughs> that day, and I had done a play, and some guy saw me do the play, and he's like, "You should do voiceovers." I'm like, "Huh? I don't know how to do cartoons." And he was like, "You should do it." And I was like, oh, "I'll try it." And then my first audition, he calls and goes, you should go on this audition. And I was like, you know what? I'll get you on the next one because I'm busy today. <laughs> They're putting carpet in my apartment and I don't want Priorities. Yeah. yeah. And he was like, no, you should go. And and then I booked it. You know, I booked it. And it was the last thing I could have ever thought I was going to do. Like it was nothing that I grew up saying, I'm going to be famous cartoon. <laughs> there was nothing in there. But that's why I really talk about like be open to offshoots and things that might not be dead on what you want, but they'll lead you to something more miraculous. Exactly. And that's what I was going to bring up because I feel like a lot of people could have been completely closed off to that opportunity and just said like, no, I just want to do on camera acting. So big mistake. Yeah. So, I mean, was that was yeah. that spirit of being open something that you enter the entertainment industry with? Or yeah. Or that something you had to kind of learn? I kind of had to because I didn't grow up. I didn't grow up in an entertainment family, so mm. there was no nepotism. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> I didn't have anyone that could help me, and right. I didn't have money, and I didn't... My parents are, like, Tunisian, French Jew immigrants, so they didn't really have any hookups at all because they came over in a trailer from Europe. And, wow. you know, so it's kind of like... I didn't I didn't really um, have any... Um, I didn't really, I just was going by my intuition. My intuition was like, check stuff out. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I check out a little too much stuff. Like, (laughs) crazy stranger will be like, come with me. I've got this really cool thing. And I'm like, (laughs) that guy's really interesting. And then I'm like, oh, that guy's not so interesting. He's dangerous. (laughs) So you got to be careful. But, you know, I did, that was one of my things was I was really open to trying things 
which always led me something magical. So these days I, I kind of look forward to those weird little taps on the shoulder like, hey, try this. Right. This is cool. And I'd be like, nah, well, maybe I should check that out. Exactly. You know? And isn't that kind of a similar attitude you had when you uh, worked with Rob Zombie? Because <laughs> like talking about your career being all over the place, yeah. it's like, you know, you've yeah. done so much with so many different people. Yeah. So I just think that that's Well, just... Rob Zombie... Rob Zombie was, yeah, those were, that was just an out of the call blue, you know, yeah. out of the blue call. I literally walked into my voiceover agency that day and they were like, oh, we got an offer for you to do this movie. And I was like, what is it? And there's like, here's this, here's the scenes you would be involved in. And I was like, oh my God, I have to do this. This is so funny. That was for Candy yeah. in Devil's Rejects. And I was like, this is so cool. And then I went and watched House of a Thousand Corpses <laughs> and I was like, it's so demented. And I don't really like scary movies myself because they give me anxiety. They make me stressed out. But Fair. but those movies, zombies movies, are so well done. Mm-hmm. And they're so beautiful to look at. They're like art pieces. And the wardrobe and everything. I was just like, I got to do this. And then I said, it was all in the office. I just kind of Googled. And then I was like, wow, this looks really cool. But I didn't know it was Rob Zombie. And I didn't know it was Lionsgate. And she's like, do you want to do it? They need to know today. And I was like, today? And they said, yeah, as a matter of fact, they need to know today because you have to show up on the set today. Because oh I was a replacement for, I think, Natasha Leone, who's right. on Orange is the New Black. Because mm-hmm. I guess she missed a flight from New York. And then I was like, I guess, the next in line. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that sounds fun. And the the ironic thing was my schedule was just happened to be open that entire. I never have like a schedule where it's open. And I was like, that's crazy. Wow. And the next thing you know, I showed up on the set and it was fun. And then I did the next Rob, another Rob, right. 31, which was a blast. It's oh, amazing. Sex head. So, I mean, I know, does your creative process differ when you're developing characters for a voiceover role versus a live action role? Like, how does that how does one inform the other, and like, how does your preparation process differ, if at all? Yeah, well, I think I think I think with on camera, um, I am limited by my body. Obviously, mm-hmm. I mean, you could change yourself up a bit, which I tend to do. I tend to, you know, like in as sex head, I was a little bit, I had a different bit bit of a look, and mm-hmm. so I like the whole morphing into somebody different. I like the whole time period thing, but it's different in that. Um, voiceovers is a lot more freeing because you're not limited by your body or your face but on camera is like you really get to live it in your body you Mm -hmm. get to go into a little land and live in that for a moment which is really cool with a voiceover they'll show me like a picture Mm -hmm. or an anime little animation you know a little claymation or something and then I literally just look at the picture or the claymation and then a voice comes out Hmm. like I literally just I think that's probably what part of my gift is, is the ability to go, oh, yeah, that looks like she would talk like this. And right. it's funny because in my family we do that. Like my brother does that really well. He's not an actor at all, but he'll look at, like, a funny little cartoon character and he'd make the face or t- start doing a voice for it, and it's ex- dead on. Right. It looks, like, dead on like that's what it would sound like. So I think that's, like, a gift we have in our family. But that was that's the thing with animation is it's really sudden. I just make mm-hmm. a choice and um, come up with a... A little voice that matches that face, those lips, that tongue, right. the way the tongue hits the teeth, the the whole thing. Whereas, like an on camera thing, um, I think there is more detailed work because you want to do the history of the character and you want to know who the other characters are because you're wrapping around them. But you don't have that time luxury in animation. It's like right there. Right. You read your line, you do your voice right there, right. right then. So the differences are: one does you get to do beautiful, deeper work which is more time-consuming, but also really fun. 
And voiceovers is really fun because you just get to create it in a second. Yeah, and I, f- I find that that ability and that process of just looking at a photo and just being able to to know that that character's voice really interesting. And so I would like to, yeah. like, what was that process like, say, for example, Buttercup with the Powerpuff Girls? Like, when you got, when you were brought in and you saw the photo of her and you probably got a little description, like, how did you That was That, that was a different kid scenario because oh, really? when they, when we auditioned for Powerpuff Girls, it was probably, like, seven years earlier than we actually started doing the series. When uh-huh. we auditioned for the pilot, they brought in a bunch of girls, and then they nailed it down to the three of us. And they weren't sure who was going to do which voice. Hmm. They just knew that they liked the combination of our voices. Right. But they had it locked down, like, oh, E.G.'s voice is more the feisty one. Right. Tara's voice is sweeter and just like a little cutie pie. And then Bubbles is the more practical. Mm-hmm. So they didn't know that right away. It kind of took a little time for them to just keep adjusting. And then they were like... You're the feisty buttercup, and you're the blah blah blah, and you're so. In oh, that case, they didn't know yet, right. so they were just they just knew they liked our voices together. Nice. And so with Tommy, I think I read that that's a voice that you've just been doing for yeah forever. You did your homework, of course I did. Yeah, with Tommy was when I was a little girl. You know, we had this playground. It was like mm-hmm. all these bungalows, and my friend and I would walk around holding pinkies. My best friend at the time, Michelle. We'd walk around holding pinkies and we'd just walk around the playground and we'd do baby voices. So, <laughs> you know, just like, oh, Michelle, let's go to the water fountain and let's go bother Farshid. He wants some water, too. You know, we would just do, like, ridiculous voices right. and and then, you know, turn around to when I get this audition for my first audition for an animation. And I go in and they give me this claymation. They show me the claymation of this little character. And the trivia about Rugrats, actually, is that they had already cast someone else and did recorded a whole like bunch of episodes. I think a really? whole season's worth of episodes. Oh wow! With someone else, that's way back trivia that I don't think people really know. But they had recorded it with someone else, and then they weren't certain about the voice quality for mm-hmm. the what they wanted, and so they were looking for someone to replace all those episodes. So not only did I have oh well, I'll get back to it. So I came up with this little voice that I would do as a little girl when I saw the claymation on the voiceover audition for Rugrats. I was like, that kind of sounds like that little character I used to do, but he's got floppier lips. So he's sure to make this lips get in the way a little bit more. You know, everything <laughs> is more floppy. And, right. And so I was like, that's the voice. That was the first, my first instinct was for that character. And then they were like, just, he's really young. There was really right. a baby. So it just kind of all worked, it lined up, but it was already a very developed voice that I've been doing my whole life. That's so funny because I was going to ask you, like, what do you think you brought to that character that made it work? Because I feel like... My whole life. (laughs) Since Uh I was on the playground, walking around elementary school with Michelle, holding pinkies, walking around the bungalows, talking about the water fountain with (laughs) and Farshid. It's the part that you were just born to play. It was just weird, right? And then I leave, and then they're like, you know you did really well on that. That was your first audition. I was like, oh, great, great. Well, I got to go. They're working on my apartment. And then he's like, oh, they booked you. And then the hard part was that I had to go in and redub all of... Normally, you just do the voice. Right. But I had to go redub all of the wow. animated uh, animation they had already done because they already had somebody's voice they animated right. to. So what I would do is I'd ask them to send me audio tapes of that person. Mm. So if she was like, oh, Chucky, I don't really think so. Then I'd be like, oh, Chucky, I don't really think so. Mm. So I would just do it, but in... It was like learning a song. I just kept right. learning the melodies of how she was doing her lines, and then I would just implement the voice. Got you, got it's you. Fun. And you know, you've had the chance to work, as we mentioned, with such an eclectic array of 
directors and situations and you know from Tim Burton to George Miller to Rob Zombie and I would imagine that being around such creative minds like you can't help but to pick up some creative lessons to live by with your own career so what would you say was one of the most valuable creative lessons that you've that you've picked up over the course of your course of your career just working with so many different people I think they were all very um, all those people like Tim Burton George Miller Martha Coolidge who directed Mm -hmm. Valley Girl I think they were all so um, focused, you know. There was a focus, and there yeah. was an ability to stay focused in, a, in the middle of a lot of chaos. Mm. And I think that was a really, which is why I think certain people can be directors and certain can't, because you have to be able to manage so many things and so many people and so many different things. And Rob Zombie, which is really interesting, because he's like a rock star. Like yeah. when you show up on the set, you're like holy fuck, that's Rob Zombie. Like, he's a rock star. He is like dreads and, you know, he is just like as cool as they come and oh, yeah. and beautiful and, and every inch of his clothing is just spectacular to look at. And when you, but the weird thing is, is here he is this rock star who's like, ah, and then you see him on the set, but he's very focused about right. how he wants to go watch the behind the scenes of the mm-hmm. making of both of the movies that I was in, Devil's Rejects or 31, he's so detailed about everything. And that was the same as Tim Burton. Tim Burton, going back to Pee-wee's Big Adventure and Dottie that I played, he was very clear back then about what he wanted, and you could see it. You could see his mind was so fixated on how he wanted everything. He was very specific. So I think that's the key with some of the most incredible directors that are out there that I've been blessed to get to work with is they're all very focused. Right. And so, I mean, would you say that that's and a little that, bit mad scientist? Of course, I mean, you have yeah. to be. <laughs> yeah, George Miller is a beautifully, incredibly mad scientist who makes magic happen, and Tim Burton too. So, from is that is there is there an example of how you applied some of, or you saw that focus or that kind of mad scientist energy, then you applied it to your own, your own career? Oh gosh, um, I I tried to. Yeah, it's I'm a little bit more scattered than I think I. Should be, <laughs> but I am therefore really crazy true artist. I yeah. mean, I literally like the, I I do a lot of things artistically, and sometimes it's really interesting because my daughters are artists now. You mm-hmm. guys should check them out too. It's funny because their whole lives they've been swarmed by my art. They were raised in Rugrats. I was in labor during a Rugrats session. <laughs> literally, I read that in labor. No, I'm known that. for being in labor during Rugrats. And then that... it goes like this. It goes a little something like this. Let me tell you here. It goes, Chucky, I don't like clowns. Hold, please. Okay, I'm ready. Um, but Chucky, they're not really being so nice. Hold, please. And then all of a sudden the crew's like, E.G., your like, contractions are coming really often. Like These are engineers and producers oh and directors. And I'm like, it's okay. I went to the doctors the other day. He said I was fine. I'm not in labor yet. And they're like, okay, hold please. And then the next thing you know, I have a baby hours later. I was in full on labor. Damn doctor. Should have sued him. Should have sued him. He was a bastard. No, I'm just kidding. And so then what happens is, but my point of that is, is that then my, so my kids were literally born into me recording, hearing my voice in the studio. And then I was known for 
Like I would go do a session that was, let's say, a foam patch to like Chicago or foam patch, which means you're sitting in a booth in L.A., mm-hmm. but they have you digitally foam patched to somewhere else because right. they still want to hire you, but you're in two different places. So then what I would do, because I was not willing to give up nursing and taking care of my child, was I would just put the baby on the boob and do my session. Because, <laughs> oh, my God. And then they, once in a while they'd hear me go, new Lexus cars, the new car. on. Hold, then you'd hear this little... <laughs> and that was the baby, you know, nursing. Oh my God. So it'd be like, new Lexus, the new car for 2016. Faint suckling Yeah, I'd hear that and they'd be like, what was, what was that? And I'm like, nothing, nothing, technical, you know, so it was like, um, yeah, so it was incredible. So my kids were born in, my point is the kids were born into mm-hmm. art and they, it was only until recently, recently where they're both kind of like looking at me like, because I was just wondering like they were that blown away by the amount of things that I did. And then mm-hmm. I thought they just didn't care because they were born into it. But recently my kids are like asking a lot of questions like, mom, how did you do it? How did yeah. you do all the things you did? Like we've talked about, you've had such an amazing career music as well. You had a number one dance hit with Say It, Say yeah. It. And, you know, your music has been featured on The Breakfast Club and Scarface and so many yeah. other movies. Rugrats soundtrack. Yeah, Rugrats yeah. soundtrack. And I, th- so it was really interesting when back Two in- and a half men. Yeah, see, there you go. Men, it's- men, 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 menly men. <laughs> <laughs> the list just goes on and on. And so for someone so accomplished, it was interesting that you were a contestant on The Voice in 2013. Yeah. Yeah. And so why like, why Good go question. through that? Because I think it's, it's interesting because Jessie J did something similar. She went to the equivalent of X Factor in China. Wow. As someone who's such an accomplished singer. This was uh, last year. No. Yeah, that she was a contestant. Well, I'll tell you why. Because... People think you're kicking ass, but really you're at home struggling, wondering why you can't get a deal, you can't get a manager, mm. you can't get your record on anywhere. She was probably sitting around going like, I can't get anything happening, and I'm a, I'm a singer. I have to do what I love. So she probably thought, okay, here's what happened with me on The Voice. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's kind of loaded, but I'll try to break it down. I went through a period where I was getting a little bit older. My kids were starting to get a little bit older, and I started to get scared. Like, I never usually did, but I started to feel like... I went through a period where I started feeling, like, anxiety, and Mm. I started getting nervous. Like, what am I doing now? What am I going to do now? Like, you know, like, you always have to be following your bliss, you know? You have to follow your bliss. I think if you don't follow your bliss, part of you dies, dies. Like, if you get into a mundane lifestyle where you're just, like, not finding the joy... You get depressed, and then you think you're depressed, so you start taking meds, and then mm. you take meds, then you can't get off them. And it's like a vicious cycle, but really, the if you go to the beginning point of that, it's somewhere along the line you stopped following your bliss, right? right. So there was some point of time where I started to believe people say, like, we well, should just focus on your do- focus on your daughters now and help their journeys, which I do all the time. That's my, my life's mission is to, is my children are my priority in life, you right. know? And, um, and so... I started thinking, okay, well, I guess that means it's dumb for me to keep trying to do my career. I've done a lot. I've had an incredible career. So I started to buy into that. And when I bought into that, I started to get depressed because mm. I felt like a part of me was dying. Right. Because you can't kill yourself and not do what you love so that you could just quit your life and then go ahead and be of service to everyone else. Yeah. You want to be of service, but you can't give up your own. You can't blow out. It's a out, part of you. The music is yeah, a part of you. You don't blow out your own light right. to light other people up. You can do both. You light yourself up, you light other people up. You don't blow your candle out to light up other people. Mm-hmm. So that's a big message. So I I basically um I basically got 
depressed. And then I one day realized, okay, this anxiety has been lasting long. What's going on? I started to dive into why and learned a lot of my patterns and a lot of the my inability to say no to things, my inability to say yes to things. And I started to just grow myself more. I grew mm-hmm. deeper. And this was in my late, you know, this was like late 40s now, you know. Right. And so then what happened was I was, I decided I was going to start doing everything that I loved again, no matter what. No matter what anybody thought, no matter what I thought anybody would think of me, no matter what, I said I'm going to start saying yes to everything that I love. And and everything that was a hell yeah, or you could say mm. a fuck yeah. Yeah. Can I say fuck <laughs> oh, yeah? Oh yeah, we could say fuck yeah. So Please, whatever yes. word you prefer, I mean, sometimes I want to say fuck yeah, and sometimes I just want to say hell yeah. <laughs> so if something is a hell yeah in your body, even right. if it's like, I want to talk to that person, that's a hell yeah. But if it's like a, oh, I don't really want to do that, that's a fuck no. <laughs> and if you listen to that fuck no and that fuck yeah, you have a much better life. True. It's a very simple way to guide things, you mm-hmm. know? So basically... I started saying yes to everything, and then this woman I ran in a party. I went to a birthday party at this for this guy that was hosted by this woman, who's mm-hmm. this wonderful woman named Cindy. And she was like, "Hey, I love your work. You should do my show, Balcony TV LA. It's there's a thing called Balcony TV. It's on online. You can Google the videos on mm-hmm. YouTube. But and they're all over the world. Balcony TV LA, Balcony TV Ireland, Sweden. You know. So she said, "Could you sing a song on my Balcony show?" And I was like, "No, because I'm just getting back into my music, and I haven't been playing." And I don't think I could play the song without my team, and I don't have my team. She was like, just you on guitar, that one song, one song. And I was like, oh, my fingers are rusty. And uh. So then I thought, I got to say, yeah, because that goes in line with, with what I'm supposed to be doing now. So I said, yeah. And I went ahead and filmed her balcony TVLA, just me on guitar. So it was quite vulnerable because I hadn't been playing. You can see it, balcony TVLA on E.G. Daly's Balcony TVLA right. on, on YouTube or wherever you find it online. And um, it was just me on guitar, and I was just felt fragile, mm-hmm. but I did it. And it wasn't, I didn't feel like it was spectacular, but it was me. You did it, yeah. It was authentic. Right. And so then right after that, she called me and said, I hope you don't get mad at me, but I got you on audition for The Voice. And I was like, what? That's, <laughs> I don't know. That's Now, inside my guts, that was a hell yeah. Right. But my people pleaser was like, my kids are going to think that's so dumb. And their mom's like, why are you doing Aww. that? Mom? And uh, other people are going to say, why do you need to do that? Because you've already been established as you know Tommy Pickles right. and all these people. And I, my people pleaser head was questioning all that. But the inside voice was a hell yeah. So I thought, oh, I got to say yes to this. And she said, here, you can work with my friend Lee Miles, who's this amazing artist. Mm-hmm. And he and I became good friends, and he helped me pull together some songs for this audition, and he played piano for me. And it was a really incredible experience, and we went, we went and did it for fun. Right. And I ended up getting that audition. That audition went really well, and then I did another. And it was like a five-month on-and-off audition process, mm. really. It was took months and months. Wow. And then before you know it, I was on a, being filmed on that stage, and chairs were turning right. on The Voice. It went from like a... Hell yeah, a little hell yeah. <laughs> to a freaking yeah. I'm on the voice. Right, with like CeeLo and Blake Shelton yeah, turning at, their chairs around. Yeah, at this point in my life, after a really blessed career, mm-hmm. because I said yes to things that mattered and yes to my bliss. And it just goes to show you it's, it's an ageless, timeless concept of just keep yeah. following your bliss. It just keeps leading you the right direction. Right. And, I mean, that's the thing. That's one thing that I'm always so fascinated by are those creative roadblocks that people who are so creative like you kind of bump up against. And I think that, you know, it's it's easy to assume that 
someone is so, you know, so creative and constantly spewing out ideas and constantly like they like don't you suffer. Right. They, they don't suffer. Or they don't they, know what I'm going through. And like yeah, you mentioned, like, had, you just let it flow. Like yeah. if something's not working, go here. But yeah, so force it. Yeah. I mean, so that's the thing. So would you say that that was the moment in your career where you felt most stuck? Because I love I personally, one of them. There yeah, were many. What there would you many. say is another one? When I was like young, when I was just like, you guys, and there's a lot of younger people. My daughters are in the same shoes. Sometimes they're like, one day my daughter's like doing the most amazing music videos. Like if you check her out, I am not Mike Tyson. And again, mm-hmm. Tyson Hunter, my daughter Hunter, is singing all over town and mm-hmm. in LA. And she's an incredible singer, songwriter, and actress. But she's blowing my mind with her singing and her songwriting. It's just blowing my mind. It's so special. They're both so special. But... They go through periods where they're like, the New Year's was rolling around and they're like, Mom, what am I doing? Like, when am I going to, when is this going to happen? When am I going to have like the bigger success for my work? And we all have those moments where we're like, is it ever going to happen for me? Am I going to succeed? Am I going to win? Am I going to start making a real living at this? Am I going to be successful? Everybody goes through that. Like, look at me. I'm living in this crappy place and I'm, you know, people people at different levels like I have friends that are like struggling really struggling and I have a friend right now who's you know she's incredibly talented and she's she doesn't even have money for gas sometimes for her car and I'm like it's tough for everyone at different ages all ages young kids um adults you know teenagers young millennials you know Mm -hmm. older people then older people have the issue of like I'm getting older like what am I going to do now like I don't want to grind and hustle anymore I want to enjoy my life but I don't have the money and mm-hmm. there's always issues but the key is to constantly like stop yourself and go what do I have right now that's incredible and if you're feeling depressed you would sit yourself down I would sit your ass down and I would write down the things that are that you're ha- that make you happy the things that are so little that make you happy like if I sat down right on a day that I'm like depressed and that's not that often but I do have my moments of course I'll sit down and write a gratitude list and and it's so beautiful when you do that because you get present and then I think my little dogs my little dogs give me so much joy I feel so much deep love for my dogs I can't even it blows my mind and so when I when you stay in that place that resonant that that place that resonance resonates so much beauty and love and it's simple and it's right there in the moment that helps take you out of that negative place that we go to in our brain so that you can actually bring into your life um, magic. Like if you're bitching and moaning and depressed, you kind of block magic from happening. Mm. But if you get back into that place where you're grateful and you're being of service and you're noticing the things that are beautiful that you have today and you do the small things that you can do today because tomorrow you can't make something happen today, but you can do today like... I can go work out. I can eat really well. Like that all ties me into the whole purpose why I released the So Pretty video. Right. So Pretty is really about um, appreciating yourself and beauty. Being pretty is not just your outside. It's like, am I in the moment? Am I being kind? Am I being thoughtful? Am I being generous? Am I being, am I having compassion? Am I, those are pretty. That's pretty to me. And uh, pretty is, you know, is getting off yourself and seeing others. That's pretty. Like narcissism is not pretty to me at all. It's just so limited and yucky. Like I'm super allergic to narcissistic people. I'm like, oh, dude, I can't. You know, hell no. <laughs> There's a hell no. Right but there. that's a hell no. But what I'm saying is so 
Anyway, so that's why I put together the So Pretty video because it's so much about vanity and not being okay with who you are and what you are and the way you are that we have to try to work so hard to alter it. And that means you're feeling empty on the inside. So if you're feeling empty on the insides, then you try to do all this stuff on your outsides to feel better. But that never feels better because it has to start from inside. Mm -hmm. It's like a bottomless pit, like how much you can fillers. There were times where I put fillers in my face. One of my best friends, Romy, who's here with me, she would literally go like, what the hell have you been doing to your face? Like, <laughs> And they would sometimes be afraid to say it to me because I'd be like, I'm looking younger and fresher. But no, everybody that loves me is like, you look weird. <laughs> you are looking weirder. And so what happens is, you know, I thank God I have people that tell me the truth. Yeah. But that was me feeling older going, I'm getting older and I have more wrinkles and I want to be beautiful and I want to look great. But the work really needed to start with, why am I feeling insecure? Mm. Why am I not feeling lovable? Right. Why, why am I feeling icky on the insides be, that I want to change the outsides? Has that ever trickled into your work? Like, for example, you mentioned that you started putting fillers and using fillers in your face and everything like that. But do you ever feel like your creative work kind of suffered the same fate? Like, did you ever feel like you were doing just filler or doing things that people wanted you to do or expected you to do or something that was popular that didn't really resonate deep within you like has there been like yeah. a piece of work that you're just like looking back like i'm not proud of that it's not oh it's not been really with the art that i've wanted to release it's been with the people that i've chosen to work with mm. around the art gotcha, that have gotcha. tried to push me to do things that didn't feel good right. and i would sit there going this doesn't feel good this, they're all telling me that this is good and this does not feel good to me. And that's where I love with with the time and age and wisdom that you get. And that's why I try to teach my daughters. And I want to teach you guys if you're younger, because I feel young. I feel just as young as everybody else. But I am age-wise older, but my soul and my spirit is just as young as everybody else. But I try to teach you, like, really listen to yourself. That's what I was going to ask. Because, yeah. I mean, how do you, how do you listen to that inner that inner voice that you have but also you're still paying your dues because i think you you there's there is a certain privilege having worked having been in the industry for so long that yeah. you can say like you know what i don't yeah. really want to do that but yeah. if you're an up-and-coming creative no matter where you are no matter what you're doing you know what you listen to what's that your body because hmm. your body will go this feels like shit yeah. This feels like a, hell, a hell no. no. Yeah. This feels like a fuck no. <laughs> this person feels like a fucking no. You know, that's what you right. got to listen to because it's dangerous because we do want and we long to have our career break. And there were a lot of things I did when I was young that were dangerous. You know, mm. I hung out with some people that were a hell no when I was young because I thought, oh, maybe they could forward my career. Mm -hmm. uh, sure, with a proper um, inappropriate behavior, you know, like you know they forward my career and then they like whip out their privates in front of me and i'd be like dude well you know it's I mean, like hey, this is the this is like so many stories like that are yeah. coming out now so I oh mean, yeah i mean that the me no too movement no like, the me too movement was the norm like right. i thought that was just how you dealt with your business and i wheeled my way around like a little cat i'd be like okay that guy just whipped his dick out okay that guy just you know right that guy just you know how do i protect hi okay gotta go you know i like i just kind of I just kind of found weird ways to manage it, but it mm -hmm. did feel awkward and yeah. it put me in an awkward place. But I think the key is you listen to your body yeah. and you know that real good things feel good. And right. if they're really not good, they don't feel good in your body. So you can just trust that because if it doesn't pan out, you at least listen to your your body. You have right. to listen to your body. Otherwise, people get 
like I said, you can get anxiety or you get depression because it'll it'll talk loud. At some point, if you don't listen, it gets really loud and it forms into like anxiety or depression. Or And so I would say at any cost, listen to your body. Your body will tell you this feels bad. Yeah. This feels good. And follow that. It's a very simple tool. Right. You know. And is there any place now that your creative compass is kind of leading you because I think we didn't even talk about your one woman show Oh, and yeah. I love the story behind it that it started off you're writing a memoir I believe and yeah. then you're like you know what no I think this will work better as a live one woman musical and so I think yeah. is there where would you say your creative compass is leading you that you may not have gone before because you've done music you've done film you've done TV I've done one woman shows go check out right. my one woman show it's called Listen Closely everything you want to find my voiceover <laughs> seminar mm -hmm. one woman show if you want to learn about voiceover it's all on there on egdaily.com go to mm -hmm. my website videos seminars all that shit anyway autograph headshots all that stuff <laughs> um, where where I want to go where I want to go now it's a really good question because the, normally I have like tons of like this last year was all about like I started doing a lot of new songwriting mm -hmm. uh, for film and TV, and then we ended up. I ended up writing "So Pretty," which I felt so strongly about the message that I decided to release it myself. So that's out there, um, and we're still promoting that. But you know, this year, I know this sounds crazy, but I'm feeling like I'm getting the feeling like I'm supposed to be doing some more acting again this year. Mm. Maybe something more significant, like maybe a recurring on a series or something. I'm just feeling in my body that something like that is next and uh, I don't have anything right like that right now so if you're listening and you like my work that's what I'm feeling <laughs> um, uh, Quentin Tarantino you know hey now <laughs> get out there and listen he's yeah I have a great Quentin Tarantino story but I think it'll take too long so I won't tell you but... I don't think it will <laughs> well it's basically like this I was getting soup for my mom and then some weird guys like sitting in this cafe getting soup yeah I was getting okay. soup at a cafe as all great stories my mom had a story soup. yeah soup is good <laughs> I make good soup so I'm in this cafe and I see this kind of funny guy and he looks at me and goes, hey, you're Eugene Daly, right? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, I, I love your work. And I'm like, thank you. And he's like, yeah, when I was first directing, I used to, um, I used to, me and my friends had this theory about you that you were this good luck charm for all these first time directors. Oh. Because like Martha Coolidge. Right. Been, and, and just a lot of different, Tim Burton. And mm -hmm. they were saying that I was the common denominator in all these films with these <laughs> first time directors, which I thought was really flattering. And I said, hey, dude, that's funny that you even say that because I thought I had that when it came to dating men because <laughs> all the men I dated became like famous and household names and multimillionaire after I dated them. Right. They were broke ass bitches <laughs> when I was dating them. But. So then what happened was the guy's like, yeah, well, me and my friends had that theory and I wanted to hire you for my first film and then it didn't work out. And he what? mentioned the film and then he left and I said, well, cool. It's nice meeting you. Well, call me if you need me is what I said. And then he left and then I ran to my car and I, I didn't run. I grabbed the bag of soup and I walked to my car <laughs> and I said, hey, I called my buddy and I said, hey, who directed Reservoir Dogs? Oh, my God. And that was Quentin. And he was literally <laughs> quoting lines from movies that I was in. He knew, like, lines oh my God. From, from really small, crazy movies that I had done in the past that probably nobody's even heard of. But so it was a really cool. It was a cool moment. Well. How did I get off on that tangent? I, listen, you put it out in the atmosphere. I feel like there's a full circle moment coming. I mean, okay. the, I'm just saying. So if you could leave our listeners with one piece of creative advice, what would it be? Hell yeah, hell no. <laughs> exactly. No, I would say, yeah, I would say really. Seriously, that's a good I would one. say hell yeah, hell no. Just follow right. that. It's a really good tool. 
It's very simple. Hot or cold. Remember that hot or cold game you used to play when you were a kid or Marco Polo? Oh, yeah, of course. So like hot or cold, like hot, hot. If you're getting near something, if you hide something and then your friend's like right. hot, 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 warm, 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 warm cold, cold, cold. <laughs> yeah. So when you get really close to something, it feels hot. And when you get far away from something, it feels cold. So that's another way, too, to follow what feels right to you is like, does it feel cold or does it feel warm and nice? Yeah. And again, listen to your body. And again, you don't have to do anything that doesn't feel good to you for any kind of career because your career is going to happen because there's a big man above. If you have any faith in anything like synchronicity and magic, it happens. And it happens sometimes when you just get present in the moment, you'll have a magical thing happen. But if you're forcing things, that doesn't really work too. So try not to force if you're feeling like you're spinning your wheels and forcing, go take a break, go have a fun day, go to the park. Go get, go play with your dogs. I do that. I roll around on the ground with my dogs when I'm feeling like I'm trying to force things and just get present and things will happen. Nice. Yeah. Perfect. Well, EG, I could not have had a better interview for today. This has been such a pleasure. So just the voice of my childhood and I appreciate it so much. much. I appreciate you for all Uh, your good questions and all your homework. Look at uh, all your homework you did. This is nothing. Thanks for listening to Creative Conversation. Be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe if you like what you've been hearing. See you soon.